0: Thanks, Daniel. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and it's a joy for me to welcome all of you here this morning. Uh, I, I hope on every Sunday you pay attention, but this Sunday could be especially interesting because if you didn't notice it, we've got these stairs that are here, and the odds of me falling are decent enough that you probably don't want to sleep, okay? I mean, you want to be there. You may have noticed, I think, Daniel, you kind of stepped into it. At one point in his prayer, um, I like the Holy Spirit moved him, but he also stepped on there, and he went, oh, you could feel that. So well, you don't know, keep your eyes open. You never know what's going to happen. This is a great time of the year. It's so good for us to gather together. There are lights and songs and candles and the kids' Christmas program. It's So many good things. It's a wonderful time of the year. But the, most, the reason, most important reason that it's wonderful, the most important part of this year, is that during this time of the year, during Advent, we get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Dur- during this time of the year, we we'll prepare our hearts to look forward to that time when, when we will sing on, on Christmas Eve that Jesus Christ is born, and we will know that God has come to be with us. And and, and the reason that I get passionate about it, the reason that many of us get passionate about it, is not because, oh, I get to see the kids again, though I love to see the kids as they come in town, and and I love all those other things. But I am convinced with all of my heart, at the core of my being, that more than anything else, you and I need Jesus. More than anything else, you and I need Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can save us in, in this broken world. In this world of pain and suffering, in this world of of confusion and fear, it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who can save us. He's the only one who can wash away our sins. He's the only one who can heal our diseases. He's the only one who can conquer death. And so Jesus is our hope. And, and, And to celebrate, to recognize that God's Son, God himself, Jesus in the flesh, comes to be with us is just an amazing thing. It is the celebration of our life. It is the celebration of our hope. And it's not just our hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the hope for the world. And that's what the kids are going to talk about tonight. That's why you see all these flags here, that this is not just joy to us, but it is joy to all the world. We talked about that last week. We started to talk about Jesus is the hope of the world. And, and, and we asked this question. We're going to be doing this the next few weeks. We asked this question, why is Jesus the hope of the world? Why is this child, what child is this, why is this child so different than everybody else? And last week we looked at the first thing that Isaiah tells us in in chapter 9, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah says, only Jesus is smart enough to save us. And we talked about how we have some really brilliant people in our world. There are, and I'm thankful for them. And we can figure out a lot of stuff, and I hope we continue to figure out a lot of stuff. But none of us are smart enough to know how to change a heart. None of us are smart enough to know how to change somebody's life so that, so that sin doesn't reign anymore. Only Jesus is part, smart enough to save us. He is, we said, the wonderful counselor. And this week we're going to move on to the second thing Isaiah says about Jesus as he looks forward to him. And that is that only Jesus is strong enough to save us. Only Jesus is powerful enough to save us. He is mighty God. He is the one who is all-powerful. He is the one who, who has all the power of the universe inside of him, and he's powerful enough to do it. It's one thing to know what to do. Uh, Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, he knows what to do, but it's another thing to have the strength to do it. Uh, again, we see this in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah has been prophesying, and, and, he, and he sees that in the future things are going to get worse. But then he sees a day, a day when everything is going to be made new, a day of peace, a day of joy, a day of freedom, a day when everything is going to be fixed. He sees that day, and he says, the key to that day is a child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will lead us And he will be called, his name will be, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, smartest person who ever lived. He will have divine wisdom. He will be called Mighty God. He will be strong enough. He will be called Everlasting Father. He will have the love that is pure. And he will be called Prince of Peace. Of course, I and many of us here believe that that's Jesus, that, that what Isaiah saw, what he was looking forward to is this child, Jesus, who was born, and it's Jesus who does this for us. It's Jesus who brings in this new day. And, and, and so we look forward to that. Last week, again, we started with Wonderful Counselor, we're moving down to Mighty God. And I want to have us think about this one, and I, and I got to tell you something as, as we think about this, as we start with this. When I set this up, I thought this was going to be the easiest one. I thought this one is going to be kind of, it's pretty straightforward, right? Jesus is strong enough. He's strong enough to take care of all your problems. He's strong enough. Let's say great Jesus and say amen and be done. But but really, to try to understand and think about power in our world is extremely challenging. And so I do think if you'll stick with me, this will be a really interesting thing to think about and, and, and to look at. So Jesus is mighty God. In Hebrew, it's El Gabor. El Gabor is the Hebrew term, and and you'll kind of see how that works out and so on. So let's unpack this a little bit. We start with the the second word in the English, which is the first in the Hebrew, and that is El. And that means God. It's, It's a word that means God. And so one of the things we look at this and we say, so did Isaiah have a sense? When we look at it, looking back at Jesus, we say he was God. He was fully God, fully man. We look back and we see that, but did Isaiah have a sense that this would be God? And, and, in, and in some ways we say, yeah, and in other ways we say, really? Did he have that idea? This is one of the places where we say, yeah, I think he did, because this is a name that's used for God. It's used in a variety of places for God, sometimes just El, but you may have heard El Shaddai. Uh, Amy Grant sang the song, Michael Card wrote the song, I think, but El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El El Adonai, right? Many of us know that song from earlier in our lives, but El Shaddai, he is God Almighty. El Olam, he is the everlasting God. He is God forever. He is the ancient of days, and, and again, there are just so many of them, and, and, and so what I think is that Isaiah had a sense that, that this child would be God. Now, we should recognize, just interesting, and, and again, part of us is learning how to read scripture. We should also recognize, though, that El is often used in human names, it's often used in, in human names, for example, all right, um, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. He's it, it, not saying he is the strong God. Ezekiel wasn't God. He was a human being. He wasn't, he wasn't God. He wasn't Jesus. He wasn't any of that. It, but his name means God strengthens. Ezekiel, God strengthens. Samuel, God hears. My God listens to me. Elisha. God saves. If you have an EL in your name, if you want to know, I mean, look it up. It's probably got some Hebrew root to it, and it refers to God. So in these cases, and and so some people will argue, and I don't think they're right, but just so that we know and honest about this, we'll say, well, Isaiah isn't saying Jesus is going to be God. What he's saying is that he will have the power of God. God will be his strength. God will be his power. Let me tell you why I think Isaiah had a better sense than that, and that is that that term, El Gabor, is used just one chapter later in, in, in Isaiah ten twenty one, A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God, El Gabor, clearly talking about God. So I think that, that when, Isaiah, when excuse, yeah Isaiah uses the term El, that this child to be born is El, I think he means, I think he thinks God. But it's the other term that he's really focused on more here. It is the specific characteristics of power. He is mighty. He is Gabor. There we are. He is the one who is powerful, and he is the one. And this is this is what the term means. He is one who is a warrior. This is a God who is a warrior. This is a God who is a conquering hero. This is a God who overcomes enemies. This is a God who does that. He is a God of power. He is a God who who is a warrior. Jesus has the power of God. Jesus is God. He has the power of God. Jesus is, indeed, I want to suggest, all-powerful. And that's why we say Jesus is strong enough to save us, okay? Jesus is strong enough to save us. That's what this means, that Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is God. Two things that are going to make this interesting, okay? Two things, and trying to hold these two together is, I think, going to be the challenge. First one is the is fairly easy one. It's the fairly straightforward one, though it's the absolutely essential one. And, and one of the things I'm going to say through at this is, and, and think about this as we go, but, but that Christians tend to kind of go one or the other on these two things, okay? It's hard to hold them together. But the first one is, is just recognizing that Jesus is strong enough just stopping and recognizing that this child born in the manger, that this one who died on the cross, that he is mighty God, that he has the power and the strength to save us. He has the power and the strength to set everything right. So often in our world, we lack power. I may know what to do, but I don't know how to do it. I don't have the power to do it, but Jesus does. Jesus has the power to overcome all of our enemies. We may have a plan of how to make world peace, but we don't have the power to put it into place. Jesus not only has a plan for world peace, he has the power to make it it happen. Jesus is strong enough. He's strong enough to wash away all our sins. Just stop and think about that. Jesus is strong enough to wash away all your sins. For some of us, we sit here and we say, you know what, but nobody knows what I did then. Nobody knows what I'm still doing in my life. Nobody knows that. You know what? I don't need to necessarily know that. Nobody else needs to necessarily know that. But let me tell you, Jesus knows. But he's also strong enough to stop it. He's also strong enough to wash away every sin. He's strong enough to blot out every transgression. He's strong enough to get rid of that so that we are not shattered with it. Sh- we are not shackled with any guilt. He is strong enough to take away all our sin. He is strong enough to change our hearts. He is strong enough the fact of the matter is, I don't care how hard I try. I don't care how much I hate sin. I can't stop sinning. I can't stop being selfish. But Jesus has the power to do this. And one of the first things in, in, in healing is recognizing that we can't. The Alcoholics Anonymous, what's the first step? Some of you know that, right? I admitted I was Powerless. I admitted I couldn't do this on my own. I admitted that I wasn't strong enough. None of us are strong enough to change a heart. None of us are strong enough to straighten out our lives. None of us are strong enough to stop being selfish. None of us are strong enough to stop sinning. But Jesus is. He has the power. He's strong enough to change our hearts. He's strong enough to fix all the brokenness in our world. All the hatred, all the cancer, all that's wrong. Friends, Jesus is mighty God. He's El Gabor. He is the one who is strong enough to fix all the brokenness, and he is the one who is strong enough to overcome death. He rose from the dead. He is the one who is strong enough to defeat death, all right? Jesus is strong enough to save us, and we must never forget that. But here's the second thing, and and here's where I think we struggle, and here's where I think it gets really interesting, Is, is Jesus handles power differently than any human we've ever seen. I think we struggle because we think of power and we, we know how power works and we know what we do with power. But Jesus doesn't fit that, particularly in his time on earth. Right? I think for most of us, when we think about Jesus on earth, he doesn't seem all that powerful. Okay? Think about this with me. Stick with me on this. Because in reality, I think this is how we function. We tend to say that Jesus, yeah, yeah, he's mighty God, but not really in his first time here. He, he didn't really show all of his power. He mostly gave it up. He mostly hid it away. He mostly had everything back, held everything back. He was not really full of power. I mean, on earth, he doesn't seem all that powerful. Think about it. He was born a nobody. He, he was born a baby to nobody, parents. He wasn't born in the palace. He wasn't born to the emperor. He wasn't born, I mean, come on, you want to talk about weakness? He's, he's completely dependent on Mary and Joseph, and they're not married, and they don't have a nickel to their names. I mean, he is, you want to, that's weakness, right? That is, it's not the mighty God. It might be a prince of peace. I can picture Jesus in the, but he's not the mighty God. I mean, he when he grew up, there really wasn't anything. Isaiah says in another place, nothing, nothing to attract him. Jesus did not. He was not buff. Okay, Jesus didn't like sons out, guns out. Oh yeah, everybody's impressed with me. No, Isaiah says there's nothing in him that drew our attention to him. He was not particularly good looking. He was not particularly powerful. He was not. I mean, he go through his life. He, he never led an army. He never had an army. He never overthrew a government. This is the mighty God. This is the conquering here. This is the warrior. This is the one who does. And, 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 and we struggle with that. So by the way, he said, but he did miracles, right? He did. He calmed the sea. Disciples were out with Jesus in a boat, and the water's going crazy. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And everything is calm. And the disciples go, whoa. Who is this? And, 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 and Jesus he touches people, and their leprosy is gone. Somebody touches his garment, and she's healed after a disease of so many years. I mean, Jesus does these miracles, but they're not what's interesting. Again, think about it. Not that many, really. Not that many. Think of yourself. Put yourself in the situation of the disciples. You're, you're walking along, and Jesus does this healing, and it's like, dude, why don't you just do that for everybody? You got this kind of power. Like, do you need to recharge You kind of like have so much, and you have so much you can give out. And then he calms us. He's like, dude, if you can control the weather, we can control the world. And so I think one of the things that would have been most confusing for the disciples, it would have been for me, is that Jesus shows these glimpses of unbelievable power. But in a sense, just glimpses of it. I I I think of it, I think of a group this size. I don't know how, but but imagine that we're all here, we're all broken, but Jesus heals three of us. I'm thankful for the three who get healed, but it's like, Jesus, why didn't, he could snap his fingers. He's God himself. He's all powerful. He could have snapped his fingers and healed everybody on the face of the earth. And he chose not to because power was different in his hands. Power, he, he did it differently. Yeah, he did Overthrow the tables in the temple. There was some corruption going on in the temple, and Jesus overthrew the tables there, but only did it once. And he and he never overthrew the the corruption in the in the in the Jewish religious leadership. He never overthrew the Roman government. And so you, you get these glimpses, and you say, "Well, so I I can understand that Jesus has the power to be the warrior." Jesus has the power to be the mighty God, but it doesn't seem like He uses it. It it, so often He seems powerless, or at least He seems like He doesn't use His power. I think of Him going to the cross, and and you know He could have called down ten thousand angels. He could have stopped all this. He could have changed all this, and yet He doesn't. And, And so, is He just choosing not to use His power? Did he not have it at that time? Or was he using it in a different way? I I think it's an interesting question to try to bring it together, to to really say that Jesus is mighty God, that Jesus is all-powerful, that Jesus, when we see him on earth, he was full of power, that he was the mighty warrior, that he was all of that. But to say he did stuff in a way that was different, here's what I think happens. And, and ask yourself if you do this with your view of Jesus. Here's what I think happens with this struggle. with saying he's all-powerful, but he doesn't look like he's all-powerful when he's here on earth. I think for a lot of us, we really function with two Jesuses, or at least one really lopsided Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. That might sound odd. You might say, I don't have two Jesuses. So it's one. Well, think of it this way. I, so I was studying this week, I came across a sermon by a Christian guy, good guy. I don't know him, but I'm sure, you know, but he was trying to answer a question. He was trying to answer the question of, you know, what is the difference? What is the difference? There we go. What is the difference between the first and the second coming of Jesus? All right. What, what's it like? What's the difference? And I can understand exactly what he's saying. I, I don't think he goes to the right place. I think he's wrong on this specific thing. But, but, but just look at this and ask yourself, if you don't understand the struggle that he's dealing with, okay? So he says, you know what? The first coming of Jesus, how did Jesus get around? Donkey, right? Revelation 14, you know what it says about the second coming of Jesus? He's coming on a white war horse. All right, he is coming on a white war horse. And, and I'll tell you, there's just power there, right? The first time, it's his donkey. The second time. And, 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 and in a sense, he just, he's the same Jesus. But it's almost like there's just two completely different Jesuses. Let's go on. Let's look at this. In the first coming, Jesus comes in peace. He comes in peace, he says, the second time. He's going to come with war. And he's going to just destroy his enemies. Now we're going to see his power, right? First time, no power. Second time, power. First time, human flesh. Second time, God's spirit. I mean, again, you get that distinction. The first time, he came in humility. But the second time, he's coming in glory. Again, I can understand this because in some ways, I mean, it's, it's, it's like it didn't look like glory the first time. But John keeps saying his glory was revealed through his humility. And so that's why I don't want to separate things. But I, I understand why. He came in poverty. And then the second coming, he's going to come in power. Pastor says, you know, this, and, and, and again, I, there's a part of me that thinks this way, even though I know I shouldn't. He came with a band of disciples. Now he's coming with the armies of heaven. He came with open arms. You know, just to love everybody. You know what he's coming with the next time? He's coming with an iron fist. Because he's ticked. You know, I mean, he came in love. Now he's going to come in wrath. He came in a suffering servant. Now he's going to come as the king of kings. He came to save, not condemn. Now he's going to come to judge. Y- 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 in some ways, I think we, we, he's trying to deal with the fact that I know what power is, and Jesus didn't show a lot of power the first time he was here. So it must be that the next time he comes, he's going to show his power. And, and so the first time, yeah, he was the shepherd, right? But the next time, he's going to be the mighty warrior. That's how it's going to be. And, and functionally, in some ways, we end up with two Jesuses. And I think the real problem is we don't know what to do with how Jesus used power. And so we say, well, this was a Jesus. He had no power. But that Jesus, he's coming, and he's going to have power, right? He's going to wipe everybody out. And, and a lot of times when we do this, it's like, I'm glad, because he's finally going to get those sinners. This is exactly what the Israelites thought before Jesus came the first time. But let's... Power, no power. He came as a shepherd and now he's going to come back as a warrior. And like I say, I think most of us either kind of say, well, Jesus kind of was a split personality. And, and, and Isaiah was right, but it, the mighty God thing was going to be the second coming and the Prince of Peace thing is the first coming, right? And And, and functionally, again, think about this. For some of us, we say, you know what, Jesus is the good shepherd. And, and let's, I mean, let's just recognize with this, people who tend to be more politically liberal say, this is Jesus, that's my Jesus. He's, he's a shepherd, and he would never be a warrior. He's not a warrior. Power is always wrong, power always corrupts, and, and, and so he's just going to be the shepherd. The other end there are those... tend to kind of say, yeah, he was a shepherd, but that really wasn't really him. (laughs) He's really a warrior, and he is going to wipe you out, and politically we are too. You see, I mean, we do this, and we end up with two Jesuses or with a lopsided Jesus. And I think the real reason is we don't understand power. We don't understand what power really is in the hands of God, what power is in the hands of Jesus. He handled it different than everybody else because I want to suggest that there is no way biblically we can say, well, the first time Jesus didn't come with power. I mean that he came in poverty, not power, but he's going to come back in power. No, we saw God's power displayed. Paul says the the cross is the power of God. We got to think about what power is. And I want to suggest when Jesus comes back, he's going to be a shepherd, okay? And I want to suggest when Jesus came the first time, he was a warrior. And somehow, somehow we got to bring these pictures together. Somehow we got to recognize that it's one Jesus, and he is the one who is the shepherd warrior. He is the one who is the gentle, all powerful God. That's why I say that Jesus handles power differently than any human being we've ever seen. Let me try to unpack that just a little bit, okay? Let me look at that power differently than any we've said. You see, this is how I think most often we view power. And, and, and two things are important here. What do you use it for? What's the purpose? And then how do you use it? What's the manner? For us, the purpose of power is to be able to get your way, okay? Okay? Power allows us to do what we want and get what we want. Now, I'm not saying we're always selfish. Sometimes we really do want what's better for us. But with power, I can do something about it, right? It's good to be king because the king has power. And, and, and we, we use that power to control other people. And let's be honest, too often to make our lives easier. Think of this. Think of parents who are disciplining a child. If you are a parent, you know, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, if you've ever babysat or something. When you are a parent, you have power over a child. That's one of the reasons I like to be, when I was kids were younger, I like to go home and not here, because here nobody listens to me. But at home, I at least had some sense that I had power, right? I mean, how many people don't feel like, well, at least in this situation, I have power? Why? Because people have to listen to me, because I can control them. How often, when I parent... Do I do it not for the sake of my kids when I discipline? Do I do it not for the sake of my kids, but for my own sake? Stop what you're doing because it's bugging me. Stop what you're doing because it embarrasses me. Stop what you're doing because I don't like it. When I have power, I get to make the life, the world the way I want it to be. And it is so hard as a parent, and I failed way too often. But to genuinely use our power with our kids to bless them, to do what's best for them, it is so hard. Think of it, nations to use power to bless others is really difficult because we tend to be selfish, and so we keep asking ourselves that, we keep thinking about that. But but the purpose, we tend to think power means I get it. I mean, that's why we struggle with Jesus on earth because. If he wanted everybody well, why didn't he just make everybody well right then? How could it not be? How can it be? And with God in general, we struggle. How can God want one thing but not have it happen if He's all powerful? It's because of the way He uses His power. His purpose is not just to make it what He wants. He wants it to be right and best and bless us. And and then the the manner. I mean, we we use power for our own sakes. The manner, power threatens, controls, or destroys others. I think about it, for most of us, I think the image of power is a hammer, and everything else is a nail, right? How, power explodes, power destroys, power crushes, and that's just how you use it. And and, 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 and we know, and, and this is a reality in our, a broken world, that sometimes we use power, we know there's going to be some collateral damage, we know there, but, but sometimes you just have to for the greater good. And in a broken world, I might be right, I mean, but But that's a human view of power. We have a hard time imagining how Jesus views power and how Jesus uses power, right? Because the purpose of Jesus, power is for the purpose of blessing others and only that. I challenge you to show me one thing Jesus did with his power to make his own life easier. Jesus never uses his power for his own sake. Jesus never uses his power For his own glory, for us, one of the reasons we want to show power, one of the reasons we want to show that we have it, is 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 because we want people to notice us. Jesus doesn't need that. He never uses his power for his own sake. He only uses it to love. He only uses it to bless. But it's I think in the manner of his using power that we really see the difference, because he uses his power in a loving, gentle way. It's not a hammer. It's a precision instrument, and it's, and it's so powerful. Here's, here's the pictures that I want you to think about this. When we think about what power is in the hands of God and about how ultimately it, one day we'll be able to use power this way. In the meantime, we do the best we can, but, but, but Jesus uses his power. You want to know how he uses his power? Not to control, not to threaten, not to destroy. He uses it to absorb evil into himself, to absorb sin into himself so that we can live. He uses it so that he can pull it out of us. Imagine that. Think of cancer and, and the treatments we have for cancer, radiation and chemo, okay? Both are destructive in their power, and, and it's the best we can do, right? But what do they do? They go into the body. Those of you who have had chemo know this, right? And they destroy all sorts of things. We know there's going to be collateral damage. But do you want to know how Jesus loves do you want to know Jesus shows his power? Jesus has the power to, as it were, draw that cancer out. Imagine a treatment that could do that. That rather than going in and, and destroying the cancer in there, but if you draw the cancer out not destroy anything else in us, draw it out, pull it into itself, and then let it, as it were, explode inside itself. That's what Jesus does. That's what the cross is all about. On the cross of Jesus Christ, in a sense, what Jesus is, he is the most powerful sin magnet and brokenness magnet and disease magnet and hurt magnet and pain magnet in the world. And on that cross, he draws from all of eternity, all of that from those who will bend the knee to him. But he draws that out of us so that we can be clean. Out of us. That's power, friends. Again and and, and and so what happens is is he takes it into himself and he dies. When Jesus touched somebody who had leprosy, in a sense they got his good stuff and, and, and Jesus got his lepro- got that person's leprosy, right? It's it's Jesus absorbs this. He takes it into himself. And and again, as silly as it is, you know, the cartoon things where the guy, whatever figure swallows the bomb and it explodes. It's not, in a sense, that's what Jesus does. He takes our cancer, he takes our sin, he takes our pride, he takes our arrogance, and on the cross, he just takes it, and it blows him apart, and the Father raises him back up. There was a kind of a picture of this um, almost 70 years ago. Los Alamos, New Mexico is the place, May 21, 1946, so it's right after World War II is the date. What they're doing in Los Alamos is they're continuing nuclear testing, Okay trying to figure out what do we do with this? Atomic testing. How do we harness this power? What do we what do we do with this? And and, and one of the key questions they were asking is at what point does uranium U two thirty five become critical? What's critical mass? You may have heard that term. And so one of the experiments, a young scientist, brilliant guy, Louis the one of the experiments they would do is is and, and again they this was the best they could do at the time, it sounds kind of crazy to us. But Louis Sloton would literally with his hands bring two hemispheres of, of U-35 closer and closer together, watching for when he would, it would start that critical mass, when it would start that reaction. You know, and, and, and then what he would do is he had a, a screwdriver, and he'd put it against the screwdriver so that it separated. So, I mean, here's a guy who's, who's bringing this before the radiation. So he wants to know just when the radiation starts, and he brings it together, and then he pushes it on the screwdriver to separate it apart. Did a lot of times, but on May 21... When he pushed it against the screwdriver, the screwdriver fell. And so these pieces kept coming together, and they kept coming together. And he could have, at that point, thrown this onto the table and ducked underneath it. Apparently it was a ladder or whatever, and saved himself. But instead, he takes it, and he pulls it into himself, and then with his own hands, he opens it up. And and the room, they said, filled with a bluish haze, as the radiation just expanded. But Slotin took it, and he did it right here, and he pulled it apart, and he stopped the reaction, and he set those down. And they took him to the hospital. And as he did, he said to the people working with him, you'll come out all right, but I haven't the faintest chance myself. And nine days later, he died an agonizing death. That's Jesus. That's the power of Jesus. He takes the, the, the hell's most concentrated radiation of sin and, and evil's most concentrated radiation of brokenness, and Jesus on the cross says, I'll, I'll block you. I'll draw it out of you, and I'll let it do its worst to me. Friends, that's power. Not the power to control. Not the power to destroy. But Jesus uses that power to take it into himself. Jesus uses power in that way to restore us, not control us. Uh, now, you might be like me, and I kind of got to this point, and I thought, okay, am I, if, if I use this image of Jesus, of how does Jesus use his power to absorb it, does that mean there's no final judgment? Does that mean that at the end of the day, he's just going to take all that? In? I think what the Bible says is that one day Jesus will use his power to shut in, to contain all sin, to contain all evil, to contain all brokenness. And, 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 the way I see it, though, I, sometimes I think that we as Christians say, well, God's going to show his power, and he's going to throw these people into hell, and he's going to make them suffer forever, and God's going to do this. That's when we'll see his power. I think, I, I think biblically, overall, the picture is much more that what Jesus is going to do is, I mean, it, his grace is available for us. But if somebody says, I don't want that, there's a place for them. And in a sense, if our radiation kind of imagery goes on, what hell is, is that, A lead box in some ways. And it's a place of torment and pain. But I don't think Jesus has to use his power to make it a really painful place. Just by God stepping back, we will do that ourselves. In a sense, Jesus will say, Have it your way. I'll give you what you want. You want to be in a world where you are the king and everybody else is the king? You get that. And in this, that's hell. So, yeah, that, that, that God's power will indeed ultimately one day remove all that is evil and, 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 and get rid of all of it. And I, and I don't know how it's going to work again. We're just working in pictures here. But I think sometimes when we use our pictures, we end up with, with a Jesus who is who's not acting out of love. But in this case, I think it's saying, I will give you what you chose. I will give you what you want. And Jesus will use his power to build a lockbox that will never be opened. And that's why we can know we'll be able to live in a place of no pain and no suffering. Jesus is strong enough to save us, but he handles power differently than any other person. He's the mighty God. Will we trust him? His power is unlike any other power in strength, but also in the way that he uses it. Let's pray together. Father, power is hard for us to handle. It's good. It's a gift. You have power. But Father, forgive us where we've used power to control and damage others for our own ends. Remind us of your amazing power, that through your power you've taken all of our sins and, and you take away all of the diseases. And one day we'll be in a place where all that is locked away in a box, never to appear again. And so, Father, when we feel weak, remind us that you have enough power to save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You please stand to receive God's word of benediction. Again, if you want to pray with somebody, there will be some folks to that side of the auditorium. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with us. Amen.